There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi. It's more popular than being French. See you in there. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipt. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipt. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to another haunted episode of Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello. Hello. Uh, we got new Scared to Death sweatpants and face, mac up, uh, face mask up at badmagicmerch.com. A little pandemic comfy fashion for everyone while they continue to hang out at home. And- uh-huh. A uh, little face protection now mandated in many places. Uh, and 20% discount code flashing on the screen, hopefully right now, for the YouTube viewers. And uh, and then it's story time. And then story time. I'm laughing because Dan and I were bickering before this episode. So as you were starting, I was just already laughing at how stupid we are sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, we work together all the time. <laughs> we're we always together. stories together. together. We're the pandemic. We're always home together. I think we've actually done really well for not wanting to kill each other. It's like we are around each other our lives i, I did want almost to just, could not be more intertwined i did just want to kill you two minutes ago mm-hmm. i want to kill you as well that's why i'm laughing now mm-hmm. <laughs> when I, usually when you want to kill me i also want to kill you it's oh, usually good a, to know. a mutual destruction thing oh that's good <laughs> that's good all right now that we've got that out of the way <laughs> okay good uh, how many stories do you have today <laughs> i have two i have uh a possible shadow person maybe okay and and then also maybe some sort of cryptid situation. My second story has a very sad ending. Oh no. I know. Spoiler you've, alert. You've been warned. Well, we got a we got a sad ending today. I'm scared to death. It's going to be it's going to be lots of scares before we get to the 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 maudlin, I guess, <laughs> just sad. Yeah. All right. All okay. Right. Well, All right. But there it is. There it scary is. Scary stories, they don't always have happy endings. A lot, well, of, a lot of horror movies don't end well for anyone. It's not usually a lot of like sunshine and butterflies. True. 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 It's not it's not the right genre. No. Uh, okay, so my two stories not themed this week. Um, been a while since we had a demonic possession story. Yeek. Starting off with one of those, a, a very unusual and somewhat recent one I, I was surprised I'd never heard of before. A possession witnessed by former Louisiana governor Bobby Jindal when he was a student in England at Oxford University. That's weird. Very weird. Uh, the second story is a tale of some intense and possibly uh, final poltergeist disturbances experienced in an old home slated to be demolished. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the first one, a decent amount of setup and really some some time for you to settle in. Okay, I I just need to show you my socks this week. Yeah. I think that you will especially love them. Oh, um, I don't know if you can Ooh, read them. They're very they're very tropical. But what do they say? I'm a delicate fucking flower. 
Nice. That's brand new? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Someone sent them to me. Those are awesome. Those are awesome. And, I mean, I don't know if people know this, but you've been calling me a delicate flower for the past eight years. I have. Mm -hmm. There you have it. (laughs) Cemented now. You're a delicate fucking flower. That does, that 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 suits you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole phrase. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. So the source for the following tale of witnessing a demonic possession and an exorcism of sorts, uh, very interesting to say the least. The tale comes from a story published in the December 1994 edition of the New Oxford Review, an Orthodox Catholic magazine that's been around since 1977. That's not the interesting part. I would actually expect demonic possession accounts to be published in an Orthodox Catholic publication. Uh, the interesting part to me is that it was written in 1994 by 23-year-old Bobby Jindal. Uh, very interesting exorcism witness. Okay. Uh, I think it can be tempting to write off demonic possession as obvious mental illness or someone really pretending to be controlled by some malevolent entity, uh, like many skeptics will write people off as somebody faking it. Uh-huh. And it's something very, you know, earthly. Um, it can be tempting to believe that exorcism or possession witnesses believe in possession due to not being maybe educated enough to interpret what they're witnessing as mental illness or as some kind of an intentional deception. But with Bobby Jindal, hard to find someone more educated to have witnessed possession. Mm-hmm. Bobby's mother, a little background on him, uh, grew up in India before moving to, Lu- to Louisiana, was a nuclear engineer. Cool. Fa- father also immigrated, civil engineer. Wow, smart parents. Mm-hmm. Bobby, born and raised in Baton Rouge, graduated with honors from Brown University, oh. Ivy League, you know, research university. Yeah. Uh, graduated from uh, Ivy League University at the age of only 20. Wow. With a degree in biology and another degree in public policy. Good Lord. Yeah, and this is crazy. It gets I feel better like and such better. a loser. Oh, yeah. In 1992, he had been named uh, to the USA Today uh, All-USA Academic Team. It's no longer around, but it was an honor formally bestowed upon the top 20 undergraduate students in the entire nation each year. <sighs> Jesus. So, like, one of the top 20 minds of his graduating class. My God. Applied to and was accepted into both Harvard Medical School and Yale Law School. Who is this guy? Then studies abroad in Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. Oh, my God. Receives an MLIT, a specialized master's degree in political science with an emphasis in health policy in 94. And that was the same year he claimed to have witnessed a case of demonic possession and an exorcism while in England. So what you're saying is this guy is smarter than the two of us combined. He's one of the smart. I mean, you can't really get an academic pedigree pedigree much better than that. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. how it seems, it seems like fake almost. I, I think that it's time to tell our kids to really step <laughs> up their game. Oxford, one of the most prestigious institutions of higher education in the world. The Rhodes Scholar Program, its most prestigious scholarship. Uh, Oxford is a place that counts people like Stephen Hawking, J.R. Mm-hmm. Token. Uh, 28 Nobel Peace Prize winners among its alumni. Yeah. Then he goes on, Bobby goes on to represent Louisiana as a congressman from 2005 to 2008, becomes the governor of Louisiana from 2008 to 2016, and was a presidential candidate in 2016. So very highly educated, very, you know, uh, uh, you know, successful politician. Mm Mm-hmm. You would think he would be able to tell if he's being tricked or not when it came to an exorcism. Sure. And he believed very strongly in 1994 that what he saw was an authentic case of possession. And then he wrote uh, Beating a Demon, Physical Dimensions of Spiritual Warfare. And, uh, you know, it was published in that Catholic journal. And what's interesting to me is it it was very hard to find. I couldn't find it anywhere else. All the the links were dead uh, to all the other articles that reference this thing. I wonder if he tried to scrub it later on during his political career. Oh, I'm sure, because people probably would have just said, oh, he's crazy, crazy Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to do some digging to get this full story, which I found interesting. Okay. And, and here it is. So uh, he said he claimed that some of the names have been changed, but none of the details. Time now for the tale of a gifted mind meets the devil. Bobby said he knew fellow student Susan very well. Although the relationship was not romantic, 
The two spent so much time together, most of their friends assumed that if they weren't more than just friends already, they'd soon be dating. They were both members of Oxford University's Christian Fellowship, a group composed of both undergraduate and graduate students uh, who were Christians from a wide variety of denominations. And one day while leaving a UCF meeting, Bobby noticed that Susan was in an extremely sullen mood instead of riding the emotional high she usually felt after some prayer and fellowship. Bobby asked her to join him and a group of other friends who were attending a campus Christian a cappella concert that evening. Susan accepted and initially seemed to be having a good time. But then halfway through the concert, she suddenly got up and walked out, very unlike her. Bobby followed and found Susan sobbing uncontrollably outside the auditorium. He walked her home, and once back at her place, she shared with him why she was upset. She said she'd recently learned she had skin cancer. Oh. After detecting an unusual lump on her scalp, she was scared by the diagnosis, frustrated that some of her uh, other friends hadn't taken it seriously when she told them. They told her a simple outpatient procedure would clear it right up, and it was a long way from some kind of death sentence. And then Susan tried to pretend that the diagnosis didn't bother her, but it did greatly. And that night at the concert, all her worries she'd been trying to push down suddenly bubbled to the surface, and she told Bobby she worried that she was going to die. Bobby comforted her, gave her his shoulder to cry on, told her he'd accompany her to the doctor's office and the operating room, and that she wouldn't have to face any of this alone, and that comforted and calmed her. When Bobby went home that night, he felt good, he was happy, he could be a strong friend for Susan. But then when he saw Susan the next day, she suddenly seemed different, distant. In the following month, she grew more and more distant, and they saw each other less and less, leaving Bobby feeling utterly confused. Finally, Susan told him why she'd, be acting, why she'd been acting so strangely. The skin cancer diagnosis was real, and it was stressful, but it wasn't what was truly bothering her. She'd also been suffering from intense, recurring nightmares. And she almost told Bobby about them the night of the concert, but she was afraid he wouldn't understand, and she withdrew. Bobby wondered if maybe the nightmares had been brought on by the stress of her upcoming cancer operation, plus all the normal stress of preparing for finals. But Susan explained that the dreams weren't about any of that. They were demonic in nature. She would wake up afraid for her soul. Also, Susan revealed that one of her closest friends from home, her Bible study leader back home, had committed suicide shortly before Susan found the cancerous lump, right before the nightmares began. Now Bobby was more certain than ever that the stress was indeed the root of Susan's nightmares. Soon, though, he'd blame the devil. Over the next few days, the more she talked about her nightmares, the more Susan began to refer to them as visions. And then she shared even more with Bobby. She told him that she'd also begun to smell strange odors. She described the smell of sulfur that Bobby would later supposedly, or would later learn, supposedly accompanies the presence of demons. She also told him she was hearing things, unintelligible whispers, scratching, laughing, and she was seeing things, shadows moving on their own, odd movements in the corner of her eyes. She'd witnessed the appearance of dark entities in her apartment at night. And she wasn't the only one who was seeing and hearing and smelling all of this. Her flatmate had also bore witness to all of this. Yeek. And this other student wasn't, like Susan, even religious. Bobby now had a hard time blaming what Susan was experiencing on stress alone. It's also hard to blame it on mental illness because Susan wasn't smelling and hearing and seeing things alone. Bobby didn't know what to make of it all. He talked to the leader of his Bible study group who asked him if, if he believed in angels, spirits, and other such apparitions. He didn't know how to answer. A recently converted practicing Catholic who attended a pretty progressive church. He'd recently heard a priest confidently proclaim that the Bible's words on phenomena such as demonic possession and exorcism were never meant to be interpreted literally. Hmm. The priest believed the biblical accounts of incidents involving spirits were merely metaphors 
for tangible, explainable events. And Bobby, when the priest told him all of this, thought it sounded very reasonable. But when Bobby told his campus Bible study leader, uh, this uh, fellow student proceeded to describe additional recent supposedly demonic incidents he'd witnessed involving a woman they both knew. A woman who claimed that literal demons had attacked her and left actual physical scars on her arms. What? When Bobby heard this, talking to the campus Bible study leader, he remained polite but incredulous. He'd never personally witnessed anything, and it was all, frankly, pretty difficult to accept. He wanted to trust that Susan was telling him the truth, but although he was also religious, he was a man of science, an extremely intelligent skeptic, and his mind did not wish to embrace anything he was hearing. Mm-hmm. When he told Susan about his struggle to believe her, she was not happy. She lashed out. Well, yeah. She told him she didn't want to see him again. She was hurt that he didn't trust her enough to believe her claims, no matter how outlandish they sounded. Bobby tried reaching out again over the next few weeks, but she wouldn't have anything to do with him. The next time he saw her was at the Bible study they both still attended. Her operation was about to take place, and now everyone had gathered around to pray for her cancer to be removed and for her to make a speedy and complete recovery from her surgery. The meeting started, as did many other USF, UCF gatherings, with group songs and a few prayers. All the students sat in a circle on the floor so they could face one another. Susan refused to acknowledge Bobby's presence. Susan's sister asked for a period of meditative prayer, and the entire group fell silent while individuals prayed aloud as the Spirit led them. After a long period of this group prayer, a student made a movement to end the meeting, and that's when things got spooky. Out of nowhere, Susan began to emit strange guttural sounds, and then she fell to the floor. She began to thrash about as if she were having a seizure. Susan's sister ordered everyone to gather around Susan and place their hands upon her sister's body. Bobby didn't move. He was frozen in horror. He later wrote, I will never forget the first comprehensible sound that came from Susan. She screamed my name with such an urgency that the chill still travels down my spine whenever I recall this moment. Confused as to the events occurring before my very eyes, I responded to the desperation and cry for help so evident in Susan's voice. I wanted to rescue my friend from these horrible people who were holding her down and ridiculing her dignity. I tentatively approached the group and placed the edge of my fingertip on her shoulder as if afraid of becoming infected with the disease that was ravaging her body. I had yet to realize that the affliction was ravaging her soul. In a voice Bobby had never heard before, Susan accused him of having no love for his friend. She stared at him for the first time with true hate in her eyes. Bobby backed away from Susan as she proceeded to denounce every individual around her in the room. Bobby said she, she cited extremely private and confidential information that he didn't think she could possibly know. She verbally and viciously attacked her friends and fellow students. She revealed their most hidden fears. She made public their most private, most vulnerable feelings. She shared worries they'd never confided in anyone. The rest of the students present, still led by Susan's sister, engaged in loud and desperate prayers while holding Susan down against the floor. Kneeling on the ground, students began chanting, Satan, I command you to leave this woman. You demons are to leave in the name of Christ. People were sweating and crying. Bobby had never seen anything like it. Susan continued to lash out in a voice he didn't recognize. She continued to verbally assault everyone around her with uncharacteristic profanity and blasphemy. And in the midst of all this, Bobby had a sudden crisis of faith. He wanted to pray for Susan, but a voice inside of him, a presence, told him it didn't matter. That it would be useless. That it was all nonsense. Oh boy. He suddenly wanted to leave and never return. He tried to push past his doubt and pray and found that the words literally wouldn't come out of his mouth. He could talk, but not pray. While Bobby struggled, a local minister with experience in demonic possession and exorcisms was called. For reasons never made entirely clear, he refused to help them. 
The member of another campus Christian group was then called. While they waited for assistance as students continued to pray and Susan continued to speak now in different voices and lash out at all around her, Bobby rubbed his hands over his face and threw his hair in an attempt to somehow snap himself out of whatever trance he was in. Then Susan commanded him to leave. She told him he was too weak to help. He was a coward. And he wanted to leave. He still couldn't pray. Whenever he tried, he now felt a physical force distracting him. Something would suddenly push down on his chest, something that made it hard to breathe. Being a biology major at the time, he desperately tried to think of a rational explanation for everything. He checked his pulse for signs of nervousness and anxiety. He wondered what could scientifically cause the sensations he was feeling. He thought shortness of breath is a very common symptom that can mean very little or may signal the onslaught of a fatal stroke. Was he having a stroke? Was he going to die? His thoughts were irrational and full of fear. He was scared by whatever was happening, very scared. He began to think thoughts like, if I try to pray or help Susan, will the demon attack me? Should I leave? Should I save myself? Finally, he gave up trying to help his friend. He stopped trying to pray and felt immediate relief. Shortly after the spiritual abandonment, Susan leapt up and ran to the door, briefly escaping from the many hands still trying to hold her down. A few students were able to catch her and wrestle her back down to the floor. Shortly after restraining her again, a student named Alice from that other campus Christian group who had been called earlier entered the room brandishing a crucifix. And now Bobby could pray again. And he did pray. He started repeating the Hail Mary louder and louder until it became a chant. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The crucifix Alice held not only gave Bobby strength, it had a calming effect on Susan, whose sister had just held a Bible near her face as the students continued to pray. Now, while student, while Susan still did respond to biblical passages with curses and profanities, she also mixed in desperate pleas for help. After attacking Christ, the Bible's authenticity, and everyone assembled in prayer, student, Susan would suddenly beg to be rescued. Bobby wrote, It appeared as if we were observing a tremendous battle between the Susan we knew and loved and some strange evil force. But the momentum had shifted and we were now, and we now sensed that victory was at hand. While Alice and Louise held Susan, her sister continued holding the Bible to her face, almost taunting the evil spirit that had almost beaten us minutes before, the students dared Susan to read biblical passages. She choked on certain passages and could not finish the sentence, Jesus is Lord. Over and over, Susan repeated, Jesus is the, Jesus is, Jesus is often ending with profanities. In between her futile attempts to acknowledge her faith, Susan pleaded with her friends to continue to pray with her, or pray for her. She smiled in between the grimaces that accompanied her readings of scripture. Then, just as suddenly as she had fallen into her trance, the Susan Bobby knew reappeared and claimed, Jesus is Lord. With an almost comical smile, Susan then looked around as if awakening from a deep sleep and asked, has something happened? She claimed to have no memory of the past few hours. She was startled to find her friends breaking out in cheers and laughter, overwhelmed by sudden joy and relief. She was no longer mad at Bobby, thanked him for coming. Bobby walked home in a daze that evening. So many questions. What had he just seen? Why couldn't he pray? Did he just witness actual demonic possession? A few days later, Susan had her cancer operation, and the surgeon found no trace of cancerous cells. They they were baffled. Susan later claimed she felt healed after the group prayer and that she could remember the sensation of being purified. She ended up seeing her physical and spiritual afflictions as being related. Her scare with cancer plus the suicide of her friend had led her to question her faith, and she believed that questioning her faith had let something satanic in. Bobby now believed all of Susan's Susan's earlier claims about strange sights, sounds, and smells, and they became close friends once more. Bobby finished his story for the New Oxford Review with the following. 
Did I witness spiritual warfare? I do not have the answers, but I do believe in the reality of spirits, angels, and other related phenomena that I can neither touch nor see. And that is how a Rhodes Scholar, a 21st century U.S. governor, and presidential candidate came to believe that the devil was real. I mean, what the heck? (laughs) It just, it's not... It's not the scariest story to me compared to other stories we've told. Right. But the credibility factor, I think, is higher than a lot of them. For sure. It's just, uh, you know, just like it's just interesting to me how people from truly like all different walks of life have claimed to see unexplainable, you know, things like this. That's crazy. Paranormal events. Was it really her sister or just like her sister in faith? Oh, they came to help her? It was yeah. actually her sister. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot of details I cut. Like Her sister um, flew in to be there for the uh, cancer operation. Got it, got it. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So biological sister. I just had to know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's a few pictures. Uh, this first one is a, a Bobby Jindal 2016 election photo. I, I do not remember him running. He didn't make it real far, but I mean, but he was a two-term governor, you know, in Louisiana yeah. and, and a rising star in the Republican Party uh, for a while. I don't know what his status is exactly right now. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a, this is a, a high school graduation photo. Baton Rouge voted most polite. Most mo- polite. Most likely to succeed and most polite. Yeah. And then uh, there was just a, there's been a little short film kind of slash quasi documentary about this. Uh, this is a poster from it. The really? I- the Ivy League Exorcist. Not a big budget thing. And not a full length feature. Now, did he? You can find that on YouTube. It, was he a part of that, or somebody adapted it? Uh, it doesn't appear that he was a part of it. It, it appears to me like uh, ever since submitting this article when mm-hmm. he was, you know, very young, he has tried to distance himself from the story. So the, I think I think he gets into politics. My read on it is he gets into politics. He has some success. People are going to bring this up, uh-huh. and he and he try and he's trying to. And then some interviews. He definitely like years later was like, well, I mean, well, maybe. It, but it, it all feels very political, politically motivated to me. So do you think that like when we put this episode up, we should just like tag Bobby <laughs> Jindal? Like, let him know that oh we're, we're we, trying to bring it back. If we want to maybe risk hearing from his attorneys. I don't know. <laughs> I just imagine Bobby Jindal's like, uh, excuse me, can you please take that episode down? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he'd, he'd be able to. I mean, I thought it was interesting where, yeah, a lot of the links and articles I was trying to find. I mean, I found like headlines re- referencing the story. But I couldn't get the details, and, and they would have like little links to the original, you know, article, and and a lot of those links were dead, just over and over and over again. So I had mm-hmm. to get a subscription. I had to pay for a subscription to this new Oxford Review to access well, this particular article from their archives. Well, now we've got access to Oxford. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, this that's not the same Oxford though. This is like I a, know, a was, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I do. I got because I, I got confused looking into it too. And first, I was like, wait a minute, and it's it's published out of like um, the Bay Area. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. If I told you, yeah, like if I was Susan in this story, right, would you believe me? If I was like, hey, I would, I would believe, I would believe that you think you're seeing those things. I will say, just in general, and this isn't with you, this is with anyone. That's what's so tough about this. If you're not the person seeing it, that's why I like stories where there's multiple witnesses. It's, I think it's just going to be really hard for anyone to believe anyone. That's not the right answer. <laughs> I know, I know, clear. but I'm trying to be really honest. Oh, but you're my husband, and mm-hmm. you're supposed to believe everything I say. Is that, I, I thought we were supposed to keep each other in check. Oh dang! Oh we man! <laughs> uh, but what if? Okay, but what if you saw that happen to me? Then would you believe? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Ah, it is. I mean, I'm such a skeptic that way, but. But like, how could okay, I you know fake what? that? You know, you know me. Yeah. If you started doing like, if you started like convulsing and different things around on the floor and then with the addition of all of a sudden after, you know, knowing you for nearly a decade, you start speaking in languages that we've never, ever talked about, like those kind of things. I just bust out some Latin. Mm-hmm. And then you start like, uh, uh, you know. Revealing secrets of people that you don't know mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I know there's no way you could know that. Yes. Then I'm like, okay, this there's something else in play here. Can we make a deal? Yeah. Okay. If this ever happens to me, okay. God, I hope not. And if I ever start speaking in Latin, yeah. can you please record it? I failed Latin not to show once, your old Latin teacher, but twice. Well, I failed once with an F, and then he passed me with a D, but he told me I deserved an F minus, as if that's e. even a thing. Uh. Maybe that'd be like the one advantage of being possessed by, you know, demons is being able to like ace, you know, foreign language final. Yeah. They're, re- some... they're really good at speaking in multiple languages. Yeah. I could learn some legal jargon, make sure that I'm protected in the future, you know. Totally. 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 <laughs> I've been I've been trying to learn Spanish for like seven years. Still uh, hasn't yeah. happened, you know? I know. Me for, yeah, decades now. Yeah. Are you ready for an even creepier story? Yeah, I guess so. Me too. Uh, before we move into more scares, we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. Uh, thank you again, Creeps and Peepers, for using our codes and landing pages so you can save money on great deals. And we keep getting sponsored by great companies. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors never frozen, always fresh meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Who doesn't love a little special something, a gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find a book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C doc.com slash scared zocdoc.com slash scared thanks again for listening to our sponsors creeps and peepers okay a little bit of setup on this story as well and you know what and if you could just talk i, I cannot get this oh, no. allergy stuff out of my throat you've got a tickle in your throat maybe you have coronavirus in your throat like that's always the thing now right mm. like if you have a cough if you have a sneeze no, you're this like is- this is, this is summer allergies every summer every summer every summer they've been really bad this year terrible this summer i know i feel constantly congested okay so a little bit of setup uh maybe not quite as much as there was with the first story um but we're, yeah so a little, little bit of setup for you to kind of relax and get into this okay, okay well, so thank you so so rosa now in her mid-30s was taking a final visit to the home she'd spent a considerable amount of time in as a child her grandmother had lived in the 1890s victorian home since long before rosa was born and her great-great-aunt had lived there before her grandmother. The home had actually originally been built for her family. And now, over a century later, it was to be demolished. Rosa's grandmother had recently been moved to an assistant, assisted living home after a slow and steady onset of dementia in recent years. So sad. And during those years, the already in need of a, a facelift home began falling further and further into disarray and then now dangerous disrepair. Shortly before she was moved out, a plumber was called in to inspect some water drainage issues in the downstairs sink, and he reported hazardous conditions in the home to the town health inspector. And when the health inspector visited, she actually had the place condemned. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Rosa and her other family members now, uh, you know, uh, get one one last chance to kind of uh, come in there and gather, you know, family heirlooms, personal belongings before the building is actually going to be officially condemned. Sure. They, they had tried for years to help, you know, her grandmother uh, not let the house fall into this level of disrepair. But, you know, she's very prideful, very stubborn, wouldn't allow anyone to interfere or fix anything. Okay. Uh, as Rosa pulled up to the house, ready to meet her parents for a final walkthrough, she's filled with sadness. Clearly once a beautiful home, one of the largest on its street with its multiple gables and large windows framed with old-fashioned drapes. This was the first home her ancestors had ever owned after their arrival to the U.S., and it felt like several generations of family history was about to be demolished along with the building itself. Time now for the tale of the family in the attic. Rosa met her family at the front door, and as the mother unlocked it with a spare key, she stood back, staring up at the house, and she saw a curtain on one of the attic windows billowing slightly. Was it a draft? 
or something else. She grabbed her mother's attention, but by the time they both looked back up, it had stopped. As her mother turned away, Rosa noticed in another attic window the shadow of what appeared to be a female figure in a white dress briefly passed by and disappeared into the distance, just as quickly as she'd appeared, making it pointless to tell her mother or anyone else to look again. Oh, boy. She thought briefly about saying something to her parents, but she knew with everyone's emotions running high and her dad not believing in ghosts or anything related to the paranormal, all she would do was irritate him, so she kept deciding to herself. Rosa had seen ghosts before. Nothing bad had ever happened to her, so the sighting really didn't frighten her initially, and she stepped inside the home unconcerned. When she got in, she was worried more about the ceiling caving in or stepping through the floor than she was about spirits. The yellow wallpaper in the front hallway she once loved to look at is torn and faded. The floors creaked. They creaked as long as she could remember, but now they really groaned. Not only was the house louder, to be expected, with lots of its wood literally rotting, it was also strangely darker. Although there were windows throughout the house and the blinds were open, there was an oppressive darkness that the light from outside just didn't seem to properly penetrate, and it gave Rosa the inescapable feeling that she and her family were not alone. She thought again about the figure she, of the woman she'd seen in the attic. Who was she? She had a bad feeling now in her stomach. Maybe, she thought, she was a little more worried about the possibility of ghosts than she wanted to admit. Rosa and her family split up throughout the house searching for items worth keeping. Rosa's father headed to the basement, her mother searched the main floor, and Rosa headed upstairs to search the second floor and, of course, the attic. Nope, nope, nope. Making this assignment especially spooky, the electrical wiring on the upper two floors had been having problems for years, and Rosa's mother told her not to turn on any lights and just use a flashlight they brought if she needed it, because if she turned on the wrong light, she could short out the lights for the entire house, making it a real chore for her dad to look around in the now totally devoid of sunlight basement. Ah. Uh. Even though it was plenty bright outside, without any interior lights on, Rosa found the upper two floors to be oddly dark and ominous. The upstairs hallway in particular seeming darker than she'd recalled. With its row of closed doors on all sides, the wood paneling in the hallway combined with the lack of natural sunlight felt suffocating. When she began to walk down this hallway, Rosa felt like she was being watched. Even as a kid, this particular hallway had creeped her out, but never like this. The hair stood up now on the back of her neck. It always felt as if something was going to just jump out at you from behind one of the doors or from behind a, a corner. Rosa quickly opened the nearest door and darted into the room. She entered what was once the upstairs dining room when it was a two-family home, and she began going through boxes with her flashlight. In one of the first boxes she opened, she found old photographs of her great-grandparents and ancestors from the 1800s. In another box, she found an old, heavy, ornate key. Curious to see if she could figure out what had opened, Rosa tried the key in multiple doors upstairs. No luck. She searched every room trying to find an old chest or cabinet the key might unlock. Still no luck. She did find some dishes in the sink of the upstairs kitchen that looked like they'd been left there literally for decades. And there was an iron still sitting on an ironing board, a thick layer of dust covering it. She also found an outfit someone had laid on a bed to be worn many, many years ago, one that was never put on. It all created a strange scene where it looked like someone had quickly left many years ago and never came back. Finally, she found the lock that fit the key. It opened a door leading to a narrow back staircase, which led to the downstairs kitchen. Hell no. Servant stairs. As Rosa put the key into the lock and unlocked the door, she could hear her mother calling from what sounded like the front of the house, and she locked the stairway door again, walked back towards the main stairs to the first floor to find out what her mom wanted. On her way, 
she sees that the attic door is open. She's surprised she hadn't noticed this earlier when she walked by. And then she hears boxes being moved around in the attic. Oh, God. She thinks, has her mom gone up there? Is that where her voice came from? Rosa called out for her mom. No answer. She calls out for her dad. Still no answer. Starting up the stairs to the attic, still hearing footsteps and boxes being moved. Oh, my God. Rosa now breaks into a cold sweat. She suddenly feels very scared. This all felt so different than the other paranormal experiences she'd had before. Oh, God, don't go up there. She calls out for her parents once more. Neither answers. Not only did she hear, uh, not hear anything else from the attic, she didn't hear any movement coming from any other part of the house either. Where were they? Leaving the attic door open, Rosa creeps up the attic stairs into a hallway that was barely six feet from floor to ceiling, narrow with white walls and green doorways and trim. At the top of the stairs, the hallway bends to the right, and she remembers uh, from exploring the attic a time or two as a kid that there were rooms on all sides packed from ceiling to floor with boxes, old bed frames, box springs, and other assorted items. It was far from your typical attic. Much more expansive than most, it was also unusually compartmentalized. The rooms felt more like traditional bedrooms. It was more of a true third floor in many ways than a traditional attic. At one time, sometime before she was born, maybe even before her grandmother had been born, another family had lived up in this attic. And the house had been a three-story, three-family home. Now, as Rosa climbed the stairs, the attic had been long abandoned, or at least it was supposed to have been. Rosa called out again for her parents. Silence. But then a few moments later, Rosa hears something. She hears the rustling of paper bags from a room at the very end of the attic hall. Oh, God. She sees a curtain blowing around and feels a breeze. The breeze gives her the chills, not because it was cold, because it shouldn't be there. There was absolutely no air conditioning or draft, and all the windows had been bolted shut in the attic many years earlier. And then Rosa felt something else. She suddenly felt as if she was being watched from the room at the far end of the hallway. She could also hear a sound emanating from multiple corners of the attic that sounded like coins being dropped, one by one, and then rolling across the floor, followed by a young girl giggling. What the fuck? Freaked out, not wanting to run into whatever or whoever was dropping those coins, Rosa quickly bolts down the stairs, and when she makes it to the bottom to make it to the second floor, she smashes into a closed door hard enough to leave a mark on her forehead. She literally runs into the door because she fully expected it to be open. She knew for a fact she'd left it open. Rosa starts to panic. She reaches for the knob, grabs it, and can't twist it open. She's locked in. Oh, God. Now she really starts to panic. Finally, she gets the knob to turn, but the door still won't open. It feels as if it's being pushed on from the other side by someone or something stronger than Rosa. Then things get much, much worse. Rosa now starts to hear soft footsteps making their way down the attic hall towards the stairs. No! She hears something bumping into one of the old wooden doors laying off its frame in the hallway. Then she hears the click, click, click of heels as they turn the corner making their way to the top of the stairs. Her heart racing, her palms growing sweaty as she pounds on the door for someone to let her out. She screams out for her mom. She cries out for her father. Where were they? How could they not hear her? Then she hears the sound of the heels stop at the top of the stairs behind her and she grows quiet. Fuck. She wants to turn around but can't bring herself to look at whatever is heading towards her. Click. She now hears the sound of a heel stepping down onto the first step towards the second floor. Oh my god. Click. Whatever was behind her had just taken another step. Click. How many steps until it was directly behind her? Ten? Twelve at most? 
she can now see a shadow emerging on the cracked white walls above her. A humanist shadow that grows larger with every Ooh. step. Click. She pushes down on the doorknob and tries to break it off the door. Click. She throws her shoulder into the door, trying and failing to break through. Click. She pushes down again. Damn it, she just isn't strong enough to break the doorknob. Click. How many steps away now? Six? Eight? Maybe just three or four? Click. She can tell by the shadow above her that if this is a person, they're only a step or two away from being able to touch her. She screams, twists the doorknob, slams her shoulder into the door again with everything she has. Finally, the door flies open. <sighs> she literally falls into the hallway in front of her, and then before she can look back and see what was standing behind her, boom! The door to the attic slams itself shut. Rosa runs downstairs in a panic, and when she gets to the first floor, she literally runs into her mom, and they both nearly tumble to the ground. Her mom swears she had never heard Rosa call out for her. Her father, who had just run up from the basement, swears the same thing. They're both alarmed by how panicked Rosa is. Just when Rosa starts to wonder if she was losing her mind, all three of them hear footsteps coming now from the second floor. They can hear someone pacing around across the upstairs kitchen directly above them. Rosa can now see the panic she felt began to take root in her parents' faces. Her father, a huge skeptic, who doesn't believe in anything in the paranormal, whispers that someone must have broken into the house and is hiding upstairs. He sneaks upstairs via the back staircase. No, 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 no. The one Rosa had found the key for, the one she'd unlocked the second floor door to, and then locked it back up again. When her dad makes it to the top of the staircase, the door Rosa had locked was slightly cracked and is slowly opening. Rosa felt that something clearly wanted them to come up to the second floor. Something was inviting them. She tells her dad they need to leave. He insists on pressing on. GTFO, baby. Rosa and her father search the entire upstairs of the house, the second floor, then the attic. Rosa really does not want to go back up there, but she also is not comfortable with her father going up alone. Her mom is too scared to head up with him. She can't talk him into not going, so she follows. Oh, come on. And they find no one. They find no one who could have made the noises she had just heard. When they begin to leave the attic, Rosa follows her father back down the stairs where she had just been trapped. And when she makes it about halfway down, she screams out and almost startles her dad into falling down the last few steps. She distinctly felt hands on her back and shoulders, something touching her neck. She pushes her dad out of the way as she makes it to the second floor, tells her dad she is out. He thinks she had just let her imagination get to her. He's annoyed. Other than some strange noises, he still hadn't seen or felt anything. Rosa goes to the main floor, helps her mom, brings a few boxes outside, and then she is done. She won't step foot in this house ever again. She and her mom now wait out in the front lawn for her father. Her dad searches the second floor one last time for squatters. About 20 minutes later, he finally comes outside. His face is pale and he's flustered. He's a bit angry with them. Uh-oh. He accuses Rosa of playing some kind of practical joke on him. He claims that when he'd been in one room upstairs, all the rooms were connected with multiple doors to each, he would hear a doorknob turn in another room. Then, when he'd look up, he'd see a door slowly clicking shut, closing. When he'd go over to that door, open it and look around, there would be no one in the room, but suddenly, the door to the room leading to the one he was just in, that would now shut behind him on its own. He'd go to that door, look inside, find no one there, and another door behind him would shut. And this pattern kept repeating. Sometimes the door shutting would be followed by footsteps, clicking in other nearby rooms. Rosa Dead also claimed to have heard a female voice calling out his name. He couldn't figure out which room it was coming from. Sometimes the voice sounded like Rosa's voice. Sometimes it sounded like his wife's. When he'd entered the room he thought the voice was coming from, he'd now hear it again coming from somewhere else. 
He thought Rosa and his wife were messing with him. Rosa and her mom told him they swore they'd been outside the whole time. He just didn't believe them. Rosa thinks he just didn't want to believe. He was too scared, and he kept insisting it was all a big prank. His prank details scared the hell out of Rosa. He told her that out of the corner of his eye, he saw movement several times. And once, he thought he saw a woman walking by. But when he turned to get a better look, nothing would be there. After her dad loaded up a few more boxes out of the house quickly, Rosa and her parents took one last look at the home and then all got into their respective cars. As she drove away, Rosa thought she saw that flicker of the same woman in the white dress in the attic window. Who was she? A few days later, Rosa talked to her grandmother about what happened. Her dementia wasn't consistent, and sometimes, not often, she would still very much be herself. And her grandmother's eyes would light up. And this was one of those times. And she told Rosa about a great aunt of hers who had lived in that attic many, many years ago with her family in the 1940s. She and one of her children had both died in the attic of scarlet fever. Oh. And she said it was tragic. She said after her daughter died, she refused to let anyone bury her. She just, she couldn't. And then right when it seemed as if her grandma was going to tell something important, maybe that she'd also heard or seen a ghost, the disease that was ravaging her mind struck again, and what she might have said was lost forever. Dang it. A few months later, her grandma passed away in her sleep. Rosa wonders, was the daughter who died of scarlet fever the girl she'd heard giggling? Was her mother the woman who'd follow her down the stairs? And now that the attic had been demolished, where have their spirits gone? I mean, what does happen to them? Eek. I don't know. That's just a creepy attic story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you didn't like attics before, now you really don't like attics. I mean, I, I, this one is, you know, one of those, uh, you know, like and I've talked about it before, the, the many, many kind of websites that are out there that have random submissions. So they don't, they're not accompanied by pictures. Mm-hmm. I did just do some Googling for like scary attic photos. And Woo-wee. Yeah, was it good? There's some creepy shit out there. You can show me? Uh, yeah. So this first one, this is the first Google search result from uh, scary attic. I mean, that's kind of funny. Weird ass old doll. Yeah, uh, why, is it, why is its leg so long? <laughs> I don't know. Weirdly disappointing. Okay. This next one, probably, I mean, probably a scene somebody said it, but like. Good job. Oh, yeah. Can you, can you imagine walking up in your attic and finding this all these dolls gathered around in like some occult a, ritual? Around a candle with a bunch of coins on the table? Mm-hmm. And I think I think uh, this this next one I think is creepier. I'm trying to remember now. I can't remember, remember what this picture. Oh, yeah. Just a, um, a bassinet by itself up in the attic. What if it just started like rolling? Oh, my God. That would be something. If you went up into that attic, everything's still, and then all of a sudden that little bassinet starts... <laughs> To start to move and around. And what if you heard a baby cry when it did that? Whew, that's when you got to sell the house. <laughs> oh, you got to do more than sell the house. You have to burn the house down. Oh, my God. Yeek. Uh, uh, producer Joe Paisley told me something very funny. He was we're going over these pictures before the show. Yeah. He said that his wife uh, t- you know, talked him out of doing it or, you know, was like very much against it. Yeah. When they were doing some remodels in their house, he wanted to hide like crucifixes and uh, scary baby dolls in the walls so that whoever worked on them in the future would open them up and just find that. That, that's pretty hilarious. I think that's amazing. What a great prank. It made me think. I can't story. believe Aaron said no to that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 this this uh, uh, story did make me think like, what if we did that in our attic? Like if we were getting ready to move, you know, just put a bunch of creepy, creepy dolls up there in some weird arrangements. Oh, I love it. Just for like the, I mean, the poor, like, I mean, odds are just be some poor construction worker would go up there to do some repairs. Well, you'd have to, <laughs> get you have nightmares. to do it. You would either scare the um, inspector. Oh, yeah. Or you have to wait until the inspection's over and then go back up and do it. Even better if you, if you live in a small town and you happen to know the name of the inspector. Mm-hmm. What if he did that and then had some kind of little note 
addressed to the inspector. Oh, boy. Dear Mike. That, <laughs> that can really backfire, though, because then, then if, he, if he's really angry and thinks that you're fucking with him, but so angry that you're afraid to admit that you are, now you've left him in a real, real kind of trouble. Real state. pickle. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think you have to do it after the inspector comes because inspectors take a lot of photos. So oh, yeah. If you can still get out of buying the house uh-huh. during the inspection phase. Yeah. So it's like if the house is under contract and then the inspection happens. Yeah. And then there's, you know, some weird occult whatever in your attic. And then they show it to the prospective buyers who've right. already like, you know, invested all this energy into it. And they're like, then nah. then you have to put the house back on the market. And that is no good. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Could backfire. But you'll end up in DydenHouse.com. Oh, boy. Which I hear you have to pay for those results. So... Not so happy with them. <laughs> um, okay, so are you ready to get a little spooked? <laughs> I am. I am. Okay, you got your... I'm ready. I'm ready. I tried finding you another one of those because he was looking very dull. He's looking rough. Or my little skeleton squishy. Well, I, I mean, you know, he's just gotten a lot of aware. He's not as bright as he once was. And I, I can't find him. I have to find just a monster one. Just some random monster. <sighs> but that one's so funny. I want you to have like a little... Um, Something like cute and happy. Okay. Like a little emoji, smiley face. <laughs> little poop emoji. I want a little monster guy. We'll have to see. Hmm. Can he be a cute monster? Hmm. Yeah. I guess. I wanted him a, scary, a scary squishy. <laughs> I just think it's funny if it's something sweet. <laughs> um, okay. Well, let's get into it, Dan. Okay. Um, so, you know, shadow people. Oof, they're pretty rough for me. Mm-hmm. Um so along with like, you know, UFOs and aliens, but yeah. <sighs> yeah. And, and, and if you're new to the show, uh, this is, uh, these are, Lindsay tells the listener tales. So we find like these random ones from around the web, the ones that, and then if you're like, this is your first time checking out Scared to Death, a lot of people find these stories scarier because they're, they're from, they're all from the listeners. Right, right. They're not from Reddit threads. Nope. They're not from books. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, I could tell you who it's from and you could talk to this person. Uh. Possibly. And we've heard a lot of them now. I know. It's the, crazy. The, the volume keeps growing, which makes it scarier to me. Yeah. Yeah. Episode 49. I mean, we've been doing it since mm-hmm. episode eight. So there's a lot. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. I felt like you were stalling. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, just, mm. I was like, oh, have we, shadow people. Yeah, I just couldn't remember if we talked about that. In a while. Well, it just seemed like you scared yourself. <laughs> all right. And here we go. Okay. Hello, Queen of All and the Master Sucker. My name is Red and I live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I love Time Suck, I'm, and I've listened to all of Scared to Death. I'm a hardcore creep, and I love all of your stories. Yay, thank you. I listen to, Dan, I listen to Dan's comedy while I'm working, and I love Lindsay's obsession with crystals. <laughs> yes. Well, I need like a, a board-like point for the crystals, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. So this is my Shadow Man story. I actually didn't know that that's what you would call this until I started this podcast. So, gee, thanks for that info. When I was 18 years old, I went to Job Corps. If you don't know what that is, it's a trade school where you get to live there just like you would in college, Mm -hmm. except you get paid to be there. And you can also get your driver's license or your GED or those sorts of things if you didn't already have them. So it's it's helping you advance in life. Yeah. Anyways, I went there on May 2nd, 2017. And I only know that date specifically because it's the day I met my husband. I went to the Job Corps in Clearfield, Utah. This particular location used to be an old military base. There were about six or seven old buildings and a few new ones that were built or remodeled for students, just like for dorms. Mm -hmm. On my very first night after getting settled in, I was in my dorm room. The way it's set up is that when you walk in the front door, there are 
four beds plus one extra bed. It goes like this, a dresser, my bed, a short divider, another girl's bed, another dresser, then my mentor's bed and their dresser. Then on the other side, it's closets one and two, an entryway to the bathrooms, then closets three and four. When you go into the entryway, there's a counter on the left and two doors on the right, one for the toilet and one for the bath or the shower. After getting settled into bed from a long day of my recently ex-boyfriend ignoring me because he probably was too high once again, (laughs) I settled down into bed. I turned off my overhead light, put my headphones in, and I laid down. Quickly falling asleep after my stressful day, I was facing the divider between my bed and the other girl's bed. I woke up to around what I woke up to what felt like maybe two or three in the morning and could feel breathing over my shoulder. I felt a hand on the indentation just above my hip. Mm -hmm. I thought nothing of it, forgetting where I was. I thought it was my ex-boyfriend sleeping behind me in our bed. Now, mind you, this bed was skinnier than a twin bed. There's no way two grown adults could fit in this bed, and especially not with how much room I still had in front of me in the bed. After a few minutes, minutes of just telling myself it was my ex, I opened my eyes and realized where I was. I am not in Wyoming, and it is definitely not my ex-boyfriend spooning me. I darted upright, quickly looked around the dark room, and then I saw it. This black, large figure standing in the bathroom entryway. I was shocked, frozen in fear for a moment. I blinked a few times and then shut my eyes tight and opened them, and he was gone. Thinking it was just the stress of the move and the new environment, I opted not to wake anyone up, and I just tried to go back to sleep. I woke up the next morning to hear my mentor asking if anyone had seen the shadowed figure in the doorway last night. I immediately said that I had. My mentor told us that there were apparently spirits that roamed the grounds due to it being an old military base. I don't know if it's true, but that was the one and only night I saw him during my time there. It was definitely the creepiest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I love you guys so much, and I love your stories. I often find myself wondering what day it is because I can't wait to listen to the next episode. Keep up the scares. Keep sucking. Ren. Like Ren and Stimpy. Ah, funny reference. Uh, thank you, Ren. Yeah, what a what a creepy, like, to actually feel like you're being touched. Uh-huh. And especially, like, in bed, I feel like that's um an extra... Uh, like an extra level of like an invasion mm-hmm, or it's so intimate. Right word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so intimate. And it's kind of like it's like when you're a kid. Yeah. It's like your bed is a safe place. Right. It's pull those you, covers yep, up. Pull your covers safe. up. You get monsters can't get you. And so <laughs> for lack of a better word, it almost feels like the entity is cheating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. It's like no, this is where I'm supposed this is like the one place I'm supposed to be safe. You can't from come you. here, right? Yeah. So then because because if you don't feel safe when you're sleeping, then you don't feel safe anywhere. Right. I've been having a hard time sleeping again, as you know. Yeah, I, I did last night. I didn't tell you, but I, I kept. I woke up constantly last night. Did you see anything? No. Did you feel anything? I did get a little spooked. Uh huh. I don't. I, it's my. I, I just you know figured it was my imagination, but I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, I don't know if it's just the stories I've been telling lately, the ones that are in my head. But when uh, I got up last night, uh, I, I got a snack. I was just randomly hungry in the middle of the night, uh-huh. and went up and just usually don't feel this way. But like when I was uh, in, in the kitchen, yeah, just had a sudden thing of like, stay calm, stay calm, don't freak out, don't worry, worry about seeing stuff. Like, and I, I just started to get the chills and started to kind of like ramp up, like feeling real anxious, and I had to like forcibly like talk myself out of getting you know freaked out and calm myself Dude. down. That's, okay, that's so weird because last night mm-hmm. 
We went to bed. You passed out. I just, I have been having such a hard time sleeping for whatever reason. I taking my like, um, what's a, it's like ashwagandha. It's a um, sleep vitamin thing. You yeah, call it? it's a sleep vitamin. I taken that and I still can fall asleep. And I also was hungry. So I went upstairs and I got a bowl of cereal and I, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I saw that bowl in the sink this morning. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll just, I could just stand at the kitchen counter and eat it. And I thought like, no, because what I don't like about that is when you're standing at our kitchen counter, if you look over to the right, you can look upstairs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and without the, the kids are at their mom's house this week. So there's no like glow from Kyler's bedroom, uh, Kyler's bedroom of him like playing a video game. There's yeah. no light on in the hallway for Monroe. Like, so it's dark and it was just enough that I was like, uh-uh. So I went and I sat on the couch and I read my book a little bit and I ate. And then I was still a little bit hungry. So I went back in the kitchen and poured a little bit more cereal and I ate in the kitchen. And the whole time I was standing there, my chest was so heavy and tight. Yeah. And I was like, okay, calm down, calm down. And I had the the light on like in, you know, like we have open concept, right? So it's like kitchen actual kitchen cooking area kitchen table sort of like Mm -hmm. a couch family area and there's two separate light switches and i left the light on above the couch as opposed and like i had the kitchen light on so i had these two lights on and i was like okay i'm gonna leave that on because i don't leave that on when you went to bed yes okay then that was why like when i got up this morning i i thought it was weird that that was like wait a minute i don't remember turning this on okay because i i so i clearly got up after you yes and then turned that stuff off when i went down yeah because then i was like okay because if you leave the kitchen light on above the sink and the light on above the couch you can like make it across to the stairs without being in the dark then you flip the hall light on then you go down and then you go in and you turn on the bathroom light and then you reach behind and you turn off the hall light yeah. and then you use the bathroom the whole system you leave that light on and then you reach around and you turn this light on <laughs> I yeah. had a whole thing i was losing it last night funny and yeah. and i left on my nightlight last night too like the actual i've oh, like yeah. a, when i came in you had me turn it off that was this morning wasn't it it was late last night yeah like real early this morning like two three something like that yeah 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 we have like a against dan's Better wishes, best wishes. I, I don't even know what I'm saying. Preference. Against Stan's wishes, <laughs> I have a Himalayan sea salt light. Mm-hmm. Is it Himalayan sea salt? I don't know. Yeah, Himala- Himalayan salt lamp, not sea salt. That's what you put in your food. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm telling you, and we've both been saying like our chest is heavy in the house. Yeek. Too many stories. All right, you ready for another one? Yeah. Okay, and as I said, this does... And I'm a true creep because, like, this stuff, it kind of, like, I'm like, it doesn't it doesn't deter me from wanting to do any of this podcast. It makes me want to do more. It makes me want to stop. Funny. But here I am, you, trooper. So you're a true peeper because, like, you say that, but you but you love this show. I do. <laughs> I do. Uh, okay, so, again, fair warning. Yeah. A little bit of a sad ending. Well, not a little bit. Definite sad ending here. Uh, okay, so, I, randomly... Um, I did not do this on purpose. Both these stories are from people who are from Wyoming. Funny. It just lined up that way. Okay. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. I'm a big fan of Dan's stand-up, which led yes. me to your podcast. I would like to apologize in advance. I'm not a great storyteller, and I don't like telling this one, but I feel that letting it out might actually make me feel better about what happened. Hmm. When I was 15, I was a rebellious teenager. I caused a lot of issues and did not like to listen to anyone. I lived with my mother and my stepfather in Caldwell, Idaho. Mm -hmm. After a stunt that put a large hole in the wall, I was sent to live with my father in Wyoming. This small town was nice enough, and when I saw the house I would be living in, I was excited because it was nicer than anything I'd ever lived in before. It was an old, big, wooden two-story house, and I would even have my own room. There was a big yard with a small pond out front. 
Some things to note are that even though it was a great house, there was no cell reception and we were at least two miles from our closest neighbor. My father was a stern man that worked in timber and often went away for work, went away from home for work for days at a time. For about the first week, things were normal. Just me settling into my new place. I'm sorry, did it just get darker in here? I didn't notice that. After about a week, my father told me he was leaving and would be gone for three days and then handed me a list of chores to be done while he was away. He then left about an hour and a half later. I decided I would just knock out the chores quickly. I did all of the house chores first. While cleaning the dishes, I glanced out the window and had to do a double take. When I looked, the first time I thought I saw a humanoid shape next to a big pine tree about 20 yards from the window. When I looked up again, nothing was there. I brushed it off as this just being something of my imagination. Later that night, I decided to watch a movie in the living room. I fell asleep in a big cozy chair. At about 3 a.m. in the morning, a loud thud woke me up. I heard it again and realized this wasn't a thud. It was a knocking, someone knocking very hard. So I looked out the window to the front door and no one was there. But while I was looking out the window, one of the large rocks surrounding the pond flew at the porch, but I couldn't see who threw it. Freaked out, I immediately ran to my room and locked the door and fell asleep trembling. The next morning, I slowly went downstairs and looked outside. Everything looked normal, so I decided to go outside. The first thing I noticed was that the rock had broken a part of the porch. That confirmed for me that it was not just a bad dream. The rock was huge and was much too big for just one person to be able to throw it the way it was tossed onto the porch with no effort. Next, I noticed that there was what looked like some kind of weird print in the mud next to the pond. After seeing that, I thought to myself that maybe it was a bear print and decided to stay inside until my father came home the day after next. That night, I was looking outside through an upstairs window expecting to see a bear at some point. Mm -hmm. After about 10 minutes of waiting, I saw something that I still can see clearly in my head to this very day. A large, pitch black, humanoid thing with huge white eyes and a huge, pure white smile staring right at me and waving. Jesus. I started freaking out when I heard the loud knocking at the front door once again. I decided that if I'm going down, I'm not going down without a fight. I grabbed a small hand axe out of my closet and ran downstairs. As I looked out the window, I was beyond relieved to see my father. He could see me looking out the window at him, and he says, Brady, let me in. And that's when I noticed that something wasn't quite right. He never calls me by my name. He always calls me son or by my nickname, Bear. And as I'm staring out the window at him, I'm wondering why he's calling me by my name. And he says, let me in right now. And I think, why didn't he just unlock the door with his keys? Even if he lost them, he knows where the spare is hidden. I also noticed his truck isn't outside. There's no way he could have gotten here without a vehicle of some sort. And then I think, this isn't my father. He then smiles at me with an extremely large white smile and says, please let me in. My father is a two-pack-a-day man. His teeth are very yellow, not at all white. The scariest thing is I really did want to let him in, and I almost did. Thankfully, at that very moment, the lights of a car start coming up upon the porch. Someone was coming to the house. It was my dad's truck coming up the dirt road. I looked back at the thing in the window, 
It snarls at me and made a sound that could never come from a human and then morphed into that black, large shadow and ran back into the woods. I went and sat in the big chair and waited for my dad to unlock the door himself and come in. My father came in and asked me, who was at the door? I told him everything that happened, visibly shaking by the end of it. He tells me he's tired and to stop making things up and went to bed. I decided that night I was going back to Idaho. Oh my God. I went into my room and did not sleep for the rest of the night. I headed into town the next day and called my stepfather and asked him to let me come back home. Two days later, my stepdad picked me up from my father's house. On the way out of town, I was staring out the window and I saw it one last time. It was there again, waving at me. I looked away and decided I would just forget this entire incident. Flash forward, four months later, I received an email from my father, and all it said was, Sorry I didn't believe you. I love you, Bear. And then a few days later, he had a stroke and died. Oh my God. I still feel bad that I left him there without trying to convince him to leave. I'm so sorry, Dad. Sorry this story was long. I thought if I would tell it, it would help me... I thought, if I tell this story, I'm going to tell it right. I hope my experience gave you a scare. Keep telling other people's stories. Your Fran Brady. Wow. You think wow, that, Brady. That, that one really gave me the chills. You think that thing killed his dad? I don't know. That, that story freaked me out. Isn't that like, fucking nuts? More than a lot of them. Like, God. The big smile. And it's just waving at him. And the email. And it morphed into his dad. That is fucking creepy. That That's a, a really, really creepy story. Isn't it awful? Yes. I why don't I, I don't even, who know I don't even know how to process that. Do you want me to tell it to you again? No. I read this story like three times because so I was like, wait, I'm clearly I'm not reading this properly. Yikes. Hooah. I feel like a lot of the stories we get, and I'm not just saying this. I feel like a lot of the stories we get from fans mm-hmm. are better than mo- most horror movies I've seen. Yes. Like just like like the the whole concept. Like if you took and just like the right writer make it into a horror movie, it would be better than most of the horror movies out there. Do you remember Siri? I think she's God in Finland. Dang it. She's yes. that artist. That story got me hard. Yeah. So many stories. That one still sometimes is in, like some things just like linger. I know. I try not to think about too. I know last week's mirror stories. That's the one that was messing me up last night oh, when, I, yeah. when I went and got my snack. Yeah. I was just very much like, do not look at the uh, mirror on the stairs. Do not look at the mirror on the stairs. Do not look at the mirror in the bedroom. Because I was just so, oh man, so many I so didn't many think stories. about the mirror at the bottom of the stairs. I never look in that mirror. I'll lose my mind. If I see something in one of those mirrors. What if it's like a black humanoid thing I'll with lose, a huge... I'll lose my fucking mind. The huge smile. I can't. I, w- you'll know if I've seen something like that because I will, as soon as it's light out, I will get that mirror and I will absolutely drive it straight to the dump and I will smash it with like a hammer. As I, th- I, will, I'll, I won't just throw it away. I will break it, throw it away. <sighs> that mirror has been through a lot. I don't know if that mirror is destructible. Oh, boy. You're welcome. Well, before we move on, Dan, I just wanted to give a little shout out. This is so sweet to a, a couple, Wendy and Mike. Last year, Wendy had a baby right around the time that we started the show. And then Mike introduced her to the show and they've been watching it together. Oh, that's awesome. Ever since. So their baby is growing up with us. I'm excited for their baby. I can't stop thinking about that last the fucking monster Wyoming thing. Mm-hmm. That's going to stick with me for longer than I want it to. 
so I prepped these stories in anticipation of the book. So I had to prep like seven weeks worth of stories to make sure that all of up to episode 52 got in the book. That story has been in my head for weeks. And then I read that right after I read uh, the one that I read last week about the possible Wendigo in Canada. Right. It's just, it's been like week, Adam, my brain is, it was week after week after week of stories all at once. Yeah. Just. If I didn't say it before, just because I was just like, what is going on? Yeah, sorry about, sorry about your dad, Randy. Also, yeah. Poof. poof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also, look at now, if you would wear some like fabulous protection things, you'd feel probably pretty okay. Uh, a, a fan of ours, Kristen, over at Love Lava Beads, sent me. These Those are really pretty. Protection bracelets. And I'm particularly into, um, this is um, orange uh, agate. Orange agate. And it like promotes um, self-love and courage and grounding. It's like I feel, maybe if you would wear one. I'm, I'm holding out for the astral projection bracelet. <laughs> she did make you a bracelet, but she was like, I know Dan's not going to wear it. But it, it's very cool. It, it has skulls on it. If Okay, if I get a bracelet that guarantees... Astral projection and or hmm telekinesis, then I'll wear it. Okay, Kristen, if you can. That's on I want, Kristen. I want superpowers, Kristen. <laughs> I want oh. I want blatant superpowers. Oh man. Hmm? Okay. Oh sorry. <laughs> well then. <laughs> Did you have any more announcements? Uh, no, I think that's about it. <laughs> uh, thank you for all the ratings and reviews uh, lately, Creeps and Peepers. And thanks for the um, Box of Oddities um, fans who have come to check us out. And yes, we also have uh, given them some love as well, for those of you who have asked recently. Um, we, yeah. appreci- we appreciate the new listens. Hope you like our show. Uh, but Kat, also, like, Cat and Jethro's show is awesome, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And, and and thanks for the encouragement you put in the, uh, uh, you know, reviews, uh, various places online. It does, uh, you know, motivate us to make the show better and better as, as best we can. What, uh, if, what if, I'm sorry, I just was thinking, like. You think of that stupid fucking monster again still? Yeah. I feel like I should probably get, like, a mask or something and sneak it onto my head tonight while you're sleeping. What if I kill you? What if you did that and I snap? I have a psychotic break and that's how I kill you. Is that, oh, that's how you kill me? <laughs> I love that, how you say that. That was a weird way to phrase that. That was a weird Freudian slip. So you have plans to kill me. I want this documented. Guys, uh, if I go missing. Okay. It's a monster. If she goes missing, it's a monster. A demon or something. One. Uh, <laughs> thanks for continuing to send in your uh, your haunting tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Uh, thanks to Logan and Kate Keith social media, uh, and doing the badmagicmerch.com store uh, management and design. Uh, producer Sophie Evans for helping with story curation. Joe Paisley and Zach Flannery for producing, directing, custom soundbed creation. And Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Uh, subscribe, please, to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content. And that's where you see the pictures we talk about in the stories. Uh, at Scared to Death Podcast. We have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over 5,000 horror-loving members. Thank you, Liz Hernandez, for moderating. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Stay away from pond monsters and hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee. Through time and space, evil may pass through, but has no home here within, scared to death.
Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.